when this guy here, Tom, Timothy Donor, was 13 years old, he decided that he wanted to learn modern Hebrew, as you do as a 13 year old. Then later that summer, he attended a program for college students where he learned to speak Arabic. And that took him a week. Then he dived into teaching himself other languages using flashcards and an iPhone app. Russian, Italian, Persian, Swahili, Indonesian, Hindi, Turkish, Croatian and German. At school he learned French and Latin and Mandarin. And at the end of all of this hard work, he didn't mention Irish, sorry. At the end of all this hard work, by the age of 17, Timothy had learned to speak 23 languages. And he earned a reputation as the world's youngest hyperpolyglot. Which isn't a made up word, it just means you can speak lots and lots of languages. Now I think that's absolutely amazing. Especially because I'm the opposite of, of Timothy. I don't like languages at all. I can barely speak one. For those of you who don't know my accent. I prefer maths and science at school. So I just dropped uh, languages as soon as I could. But I know many of you are much better than that. Some of you know two languages. Anybody know two languages? At least two? Three? Four? Five? <laughs> That's not bad. That's much better than me. But of course it's not quite at the Timothy donor level. But even Timothy, which is just an amazing guy, even he needs to agree that he's never going to be able to learn all the different languages in the world. Never. The ethnologue, it claims to be the most extensive catalogue of every language on the earth. And it is catalogued, it lists 7,099 different languages in the world today. So even Timothy is not going to be able to learn all of them. But the Bible says this wasn't always the case. So today we're going to read from Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 to 9, that tells us not only where these different languages came from, but also, crucially, why they exist. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 11, and... This is going to be our second last little um, sermon in, in Genesis, just uh, for this, this time. We're going to finish up with uh, next week, uh, but Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called 
Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. A couple of weeks ago, eh, we were looking at that final tragic incident in the life of Noah and his sons Ham, Shem and Japheth. And in the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 10, that begins another section In the book of Genesis, as it records the family line of these three sons. Remember, each of the sections of Genesis start with this this phrase, this is the account of. So here it's, this is the account of Shem, Ham and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Now we're not going to spend any time really in chapter 10. Uh, But it describes the source of many of the nations in the world. How they spread out into the world with their own language and with their own culture. The sons of Japheth, they are listed first. Probably because they were the furthest away from the Israelites, and the Israelites had the least uh, dealings with them. (coughs) Then second come the sons of Ham. And they are described in much greater detail in chapter 10. Probably because many of the nations that came from Ham were the powerful and difficult neighbours of the Israelites. So you read about Egypt, or Canaan, or Assyria, the Philistines, and Babylon. And throughout the the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see these nations cropping up again and again, causing problems and difficulties as enemies of Israel. And then lastly in that chapter come the sons of Shem. They come last because they are the the forefathers of the Israelites. And as we'll see next week, it was one through one of their descendants that God chose to work. So chapter 10 is kind of like the big picture of the history of the world in the post-flood era. And it finishes with these words. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after The flood. But if you were listening carefully to to the reading this morning, the passage that we read, you'll see that the the passage that we read starts by expressing the, the unity of the world. Even though it comes after chapter 10, it doesn't seem to fit chronologically after chapter 10. It describes a time before the nations all spread out when they were all still together. Now, some people look at that and say, oh, well, there's a problem here, and somebody, maybe two people wrote it, and they just stuck the two parts of the Bible together, and they didn't know about it. People actually get get work doing that, and spend their life having those kind of arguments. But we've actually seen that kind of thing before in the book of Genesis. Way back, you remember Genesis chapter 1, those of us who are here? (coughs) Genesis chapter 1 gave the big picture of the seven days of creation. Then Genesis chapter 2 went back into day 6 of those seven days to expand and give more detail about the creation of human beings. The creation of Adam and then of Eve. So that seems to be what was happening here. Chapter 11 describes in more detail what chapter 10 described in the big picture form. And in fact, chapter 10, verse 25, pinpoints 
where our passage that we read this morning, where it fits into chapter 10. Because it says about one of Shem's great-great-grandsons, one was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. So that's where chapter 11 fits into in the whole flow of chapter 10. Our passage this morning describes an event, the fifth generation after Noah. So five generations after Noah. Before many of the developments that are described in chapter 10 had taken place. At a time when there was great unity in the world. First of all, there was unity in speech. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. I would really like to go to school in those days. I'd do well those. No language lessons. No misunderstandings. No translators needed. Not even Google Translate required. Everybody spoke the same language. Now, we have no idea what that language was. I doubt it was English. Never know. But what it meant was that everybody could communicate with each other. And this meant that they could more easily cooperate with each other. Because they could speak to each other, they could also work together. Then there's also unity in location. Verse 2 says, As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. (coughs) Now it seems that the people chose this place to take up permanent residence because that large plain would allow them all to work, uh, to live together. To build a huge settlement where they all could live in the one area. And on that plain, they started to build an impressive city with its very own skyscraper. Come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And to enable this massive construction, it talks about how they made bricks, baking them thoroughly and using bitumen for mortar. Now, when you read that, at one level, there doesn't seem to be much wrong with that. Because it's part of our God-given desire to be together. It was God who said about Adam in the Garden of Eden that it's not good for God for man to be alone. So we have, we have a desire to be part of our relationship, be part of a community. We're not designed to isolate and be on our own. And also that desire to construct buildings and housing and other infrastructure that allows a city to develop, is also part of our image-bearing. The fact that we are God's image-bearers. God, he is the ultimate creator. And so our creativity can honour and reflect who he is. But the problem was, these people were not doing this to honour God. Instead, they were doing this in direct opposition to and rebellion against God. Because I don't know if you remember, but God had commanded Noah and his descendants to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. God's plan was that human beings would spread out to explore and enjoy this world that God had renewed for them through the flood. 
God's plan was that they would spread out. They would scatter among the, around the world. But these people were building the city so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. They wanted to stick together. They wanted to pull the resources. They wanted to combine their strength to be one people so that they could achieve great things. But I don't really know why they wanted to build a tower. Not knowing exactly what they hoped to achieve by that. Some people think it was just a kind of monument to their brilliance. That they could just stand and, and look at it and marvel at their achievements. Celebrate their intelligence for being able to build that. Other people suggest it was a kind of a centre. One of the first centres for a false religion. Worshipping a false god. And certainly down through the centuries there have been many of them. Other people have suggested it was kind of like a, a, an idea that they could bridge heaven and earth. Like they could somehow bridge the, the physical and the spiritual world. So we don't know exactly what that tower was supposed to represent or to do, but it clearly, what was behind it, was simply human pride. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to build something that would honour them. Not their creator. Them, not God. And that's the root of all the problems in this world. It's pride. It was pride that led Satan to try to replace God. When he said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And it was that same pride that led Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they were tempted with this serpent's promise that you will be like God. You will tell, rise up beyond what it is to be a human being and be like God. And that's what they grasped. And it's that same pride that drives men and women and young people today to try and make a name for themselves. Try to achieve. Try to be first. Try to be recognised. Try to be honoured. Try to be praised. But the problem is, of course, that all of this is fundamentally wrong. Because when we try and make a name for ourselves, ultimately what we're doing is trying to steal from God. Because whoever we are, whatever we've done, Whatever we have achieved in our lifetime, none of us can take the credit. None of us deserves the praise. Why? Well, because everything that we are, and everything that we've done, and everything we've achieved, ultimately, comes from God. This is what Paul asked in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? You know, some people claim to be a self-made man or self-made woman. Not really. We've all received. And that's who we are. Even our very life is a gift from God. 
So everything that we can achieve, everything that we can do, every ability that we have, every intelligence that we can show, every ounce of creativity that we can muster, that's all a gift from God. So instead of making a name for ourselves, as if it was our doing, our goal should be to glorify God's name. Because that's who everything that we are is from. And that's the song of heaven. In heaven, nobody praises mankind. You'll not get to heaven and have your name up in lights. Sorry if that disappoints you. This is the song that's sung in heaven. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. The truth that we've seen in the book of Genesis, that God is the creator, means that God is the one who deserves all the glory and all the praise and all the honour. And so this city was defying God's commands. This city were rebelling against God's purpose for their lives. And this city was stealing from God's glory. And that's a dangerous place to be in, as this city experienced. First of all, look at verse 5, chapter 11. The Lord came down to see the city. And the tower that the men were building. Now I think we're supposed to smile or have a little chuckle at this. Now it doesn't suggest that God couldn't see what was happening from where he was. As if God was really, really far distance and and he was looking and he couldn't really see it so he had to come down. Rather it's written this way I think to show the feebleness of what these people were doing in trying to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. In their eyes... They had built something huge, massive, majestic, wonderful that reaches to the heavens. But to God, it was so small, so puny, so insignificant, that it was as if he had to come down to investigate it. And then God showed us what he knew about it. Verse 6, if it's one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. God had given human, human beings great, incredible gifts and talents. When we get together, we can do amazing things as human beings. Just think about all the technological advances that have happened in our lifetime. You don't need to go back to previous generations, just in our lifetime. Think of how much this world has changed. Human beings made in the image of God are incredibly intelligent and creative and resourceful. And that's not a problem. That's great. That's something that we should celebrate. That's how God made us and designed us to be. But what the the problem was, was this city were coming together to use all of their gifts and all of their abilities for the wrong purpose. And if that was allowed to continue, then human beings would destroy themselves. And we've also seen that in our lifetime too, haven't we? 
people using the technological advancements to produce things that have the potential to destroy us. Nuclear weapons, chemical warfare, even drone warfare, remotely controlled that somebody can sit at a computer screen and fly a plane to the other end of the world and kill some people. And so in judgment and in love, God stepped in to restrain human progress. He says in verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Suddenly people couldn't speak to each other. Suddenly cooperation became impossible and the building of that city and that tower just ground to a halt. In pride, these people had tried to make a name for themselves so they would not be scattered, but God gave them a new name. He called them Babel or Babylon because that means confused because the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. And in pride, they wanted to stay all together in one place in defiance of God's commands, but the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I think probably what happened was all these different people, they found other people who they could speak to and they just went in their little groups of languages and went around and and spread out across the world and created their own little communities, fulfilling God's plan and purpose. And I think today we need to see this as a solemn warning. A warning that God opposes the proud. If we stand in defiance against God, if we rebel against God's commands, if we try and defy God's purpose and plans for our lives, setting ourselves up in high, trying to seek our glory and steal God's honour, then one day God will act in judgment. God will humble us. I'm sure you know this little proverb or a version of it. That pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If we set ourselves up, one day God will bring us low. But that's not the end of the story. God opposes the proud, yes. But James 4 and 6 goes on to say, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we set ourselves up to make a name for ourselves, then we will be humbled one day. But if we humble ourselves before God, then He will exalt us, and He will give us a new name. James 4 again says, Humble yourselves, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. This actually happened in the city of Babylon years later with King Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Daniel that uh, that Mags was referring to earlier. In pride, Nebuchadnezzar looked around at the marvellous city that he had built 
and the palace that he was living in. And he declared, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and to the glory of my majesty? And at that exact moment, God stepped in. And Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. He was brought down to size. He lost his mind and he lived like a wild animal in the fields. From the heights of human glory right away down to living like an animal. But eventually Nebuchadnezzar raised up his eyes to the Lord again. And his sanity was restored. And, it say, and he says in Daniel chapter 4 that he praised the Most High. And he was restored to his throne. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And so Babel, chapter 11 of Genesis, is not the end of God's dealings with the nations. Because Jesus, he came to declare God's love for the nations. We've already looked at this beautiful verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whatever son of Noah we are descended from, whatever nation we are part of, whatever culture we belong to, whatever language we speak, Jesus came to declare that God loves us in an unconditional, unlimited, and unending way. And he loved us so much that Jesus died for the nations. Revelation 5 and 9 says about Jesus that with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. On the cross Jesus died to pay for the sins of this whole world so that through simple faith in him we might be forgiven. People from every nation, every tribe, every language might be able to come into faith in Christ and salvation and part of God's family. And that's why Jesus' last words to the disciples before he was ascended into heaven were, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus sent out his disciples to be scattered among this world. This time not in judgment, like at Babel, but in grace. So that people could hear the good news. That because of Jesus, anyone and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord can be saved. And to enable them to do this, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to empower them for this task at Pentecost. And I'm sure you remember in Acts chapter 2 that when the Holy Spirit came, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. In Jerusalem that day were people from all over the world. They spoke all different kinds of, of languages. And, but they heard these followers of Jesus speaking all these different languages, languages that they knew But they also knew that these people didn't learn. It was a kind of reversal of the Tower of Babel. 
as this crowd gathered together because they heard God's name being praised in all these different languages that God had given. A powerful demonstration that the gospel of Jesus is not just for the Jews, it's not just for a few people, but it's for everybody in the whole world. Every nation, every tribe, every language. And since that moment, the gospel has been spreading. People have taken it to the far reaches of this planet. And this will be so effective that when we get to Revelation chapter 7 and John has a vision of heaven, he says says that there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God loves the nations. Jesus died for the nations. And one day this and heaven will be filled with representatives from every nation, every tribe, and every language in this world. And we can be part of that that time too. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. If in pride we seek to save our life, that means do what we want, follow our own path, seek our own ambitions, try to stand on our own goodness and accomplishments, thinking that we're making a name for ourselves. If we try and do that, then like the people of the city of Babel, we're going to lose everything. Everything that we're desperately trying to hold on to, we'll lose it all one day. But if in humility we bow before Christ, if in humility we repent of our pride, if we turn away from our selfishness, if we humbly ask Him for forgiveness and grace, then God's promise is that He will save us. He will forgive us. He will give us all of the wonderful grace of God. He will call us His children. We will experience life to the full, both now and forever. And we will join the multitudes of heaven and give glory to God, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So please, don't be like the people of Babel. Because God opposes the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. So let's humble ourselves before the Lord. And He will lift you up.